0: Iowa's News Now Sports brings you black and gold glory. Your all-access pass to all things Hawkeyes. This is Eye on the Hawks.
1: Coming out of State College a couple weeks back, you know, it just uh, was tough. So, you know, you got two choices. Um, I I know we couldn't have done three weeks ago what we did today. I know that. The guys are growing, and that's what the season's all about. That's what the sport's all about. That's what life's all about. It's just, you know— looking at your situation, what can you do to get better? What can you do to give yourself a chance to be competitive? And uh, credit goes to our guys. They just, you know, good group.
2: Good group, great win, and the road to the Big Ten West now runs through Iowa City. Welcome to our special Monday edition of Eye on the Hawks recap in Wisconsin, along with a lot of other stuff. A 15-6 win, quintessential Hawkeye victory to bring back the Heartland Trophy to Iowa City. Mitch Vick, Owen Sebring, Mike Howell. Lots to get to here, including a recap of a historic day in Iowa City yesterday at Kinnick Stadium, 55,000 strong, watching Bluters Bunch. What a moment that was. So we'll talk about that as well. Of course, here's all the ways you can follow Eye on the Hawks if you're trying to find those still as we get to the halfway point, past the halfway point of the season. Eye on the Hawks on Twitter, the Iowa's News Now YouTube channel and Instagram channels are where we've got posts, too. Of course, if you're watching this live stream, you know this is where you get all the the highlights and the the videos of the post game and everything like that, and you can find the podcast, the audio version, wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's start with just a recap of what we saw Saturday in Camp Randall, courtesy of Owen Sebring, who is having a, a highlight shooting season for the ages. Come just on, really doing great stuff. Uh, started with that offense right away, or this is... a. Uh, We'll go with this one, too, because, yeah, why not show the 82-yard uh, touchdown immediately? LeSean Williams, just, boy, when you start forgetting about him, all of a sudden <laughs> he pops back up again, 147 yards, I believe, or 174 on the yeah. ground. Was it one of those? Pretty incredible. He had, uh, a, a, as you guys may have seen, longest
3: play for an Iowa player uh, on offense since 1997?
2: Longest run for run. Yeah, yeah longest, sorry, down. longest run. Longest I believe, play. and was- I, I just put it out there, and I didn't. Relook it back up, but I believe it was the longest play since Beathard to Smith in the 2015 title game. Okay, yeah. So this is how the game ends, raising the Heartland Trophy. Let's Tarantino it. Let's go back to the beginning where it started with a great day from Tory Taylor, ten punts, Man.
4: punting game for the ages. Yards.
2: Punting is winning. Have you heard? <laughs> uh, Luke El- Elkin. We can talk about him a little bit too. He's long snapping. I I would be more shocked if he missed a snap than uh, Tory with a bad punt right now. He's been fantastic. Yeah. Early fourth down attempt for Wisconsin there, Cooper with a great stop. And then, boy, when it rains, it pours injury-wise. Eric All going down. We're expecting news, if not today, tomorrow. It didn't look good. Kirk said as much, it's not good. But, of course, next man in, Iowa just had to keep going, and that's where you start to boogie. This kid, you you saw him against Western Michigan. Just when you think like, oh, Caleb's out, Jazz is out. What are we going to do? LeSean's got your back, repping Chicago and having a game for the ages not too far north of the Windy City. What a huge play that was in a a game of body blows. That was your haymaker. Vernon Locke comes in uh, for an injured Tanner Mordecai, and surprise Locke made it out without being injured either. Why hey, Black? (laughs) Big safety, big hit, big breakout game for him in Madison as well. This defense... Continuing to be the story. And as he got deeper into the game, another big hit from Aaron Graves, really coming into his own in the last couple of weeks. Recovered by Jay Higgins, who just keeps filling up the stat sheet any way he can. What a uh, borderline all American campaign for him. Drew Stevens had a kick blocked last week, missed one as well, really solidified himself with a couple big boots. And yeah, the little. Flappy flap, Matt, the, the Wisconsin specialist, did that. Tory took offense to it. And then Sebastian Castro, happy birthday, 29. What a day for him. Uh, made some money, <laughs> maybe, as he looks to go to Sundays and break it down. Joe Evans told me, yeah, we're going to sing. And what a great moment that was. Logan Lee leading that as well. Just a big, big day. But, of course, I don't like to pat myself on the back a whole lot. I told you punting was going to be a big one. On Saturday in Madison, Tory made darn sure it was. Really interesting comment from him in the post game after a career day for him, one that really had it win the Ray guy. How does he not win the Ray guy, or at least be a midseason All-American? He was really tough on himself, it sounds like. Early in the season, LeVar Woods kept up a lot of kindness. A little bit of emotion here from Torrey after the game.
3: It's kind of, it's kind of strange, you know, the first two or three games, of the season I wasn't really hitting the balls I wanted to be hitting but I really felt like I've kind of taken a big step probably the last two or three weeks and really started to hitting balls that I want and um I really got to thank like a lot of guys for that you know it's really guys just getting around me and we've had a lot of vulnerable conversations in the specialist room because you know I wasn't I wasn't performing on um, to the best of my ability the first few weeks and um yeah I really owe like coach Woods a lot because he kind of just like helped me get out of that slump and the one thing that I really love about Coach Woods is that he just lets us be who we are. And there was never, like, there was never one day where it's just like, you know,
4: why are you effing doing that or why are you doing that? It was just like, you know what, man, like you're the best punter I know.
2: like You're the best punter in the world. Just go out and do that. So, yeah, I really um, I owe him a lot. Wonderful thing about sports in 2023 is conversations and comments like that, mm. where guys are... Maybe it's not the best thing. I'm being a little superfluous there, but a wonderful thing about sports is the reminders that they're human beings—young men and women doing their darndest with the brightest of spotlights. And for listen, Tori gets the biggest cheers in the pregame. Yep. Again, I had to explain to my sister why why does the crowd cheer for Iowa's offense when they're punting on fourth down? It's because of this kid, yep. and you get the feeling that maybe he holds himself to these ridiculously high expectations that we've kind of put uh, there are t-shirts, literally t-shirts with his home country and continent with the phrase punting is winning because of how good he is. And you hear him say, I just felt like I wasn't living up to it. And nobody would say he wasn't living up to it. He was, he continues to be a primary catalyst for this team, but to hear him be that vulnerable and talk about the vulnerability and talk about the fact that he's got the support of his coaches and, and his fellow specialists was just a really cool moment on a day that He'll remember forever. We'll talk about the defense and the big run from Boogie, but that was the Tory Taylor game as much as it was the Sebastian Castro game and the LeSean Williams game. Yeah, you, uh, you and I had a chance to sit down with Matt Weitzel recently, um, yeah.
3: and he was telling us that LeVar Woods took an actual trip to Australia yeah. to see and meet Tory Taylor in person, which like. I mean, dang, talk about the recruiting trip of a lifetime if you're a head coach, like I'll take that trip any day. LeVar, let me take that one for you. Um, but he's just been such a special part of this team ever since then. And so valuable for LeVar to take that trip, meet him in person. I'm sure that made Tori feel special to know that he was wanted so badly by Iowa that they'd fly, you know, 20 hours over there to Australia to see him. And he's just become such a huge part of this team. I mean, when, when Caitlin Clark was introduced at Kinnick yesterday, I think that that was the loudest I've heard since Tory Taylor. <laughs> he, he's surpassed only by Caitlin in terms of the applause that he gets at Kinnick Stadium.
2: Where
4: else are you going to get the lead on a college football podcast? Be the punter. You're not going to get that too many other places. <laughs> we are. We're really becoming
2: just a. a caricature of what an Iowa football podcast
3: would and be. I, I don't know, looking looking back, I mean, you guys can tell me if Iowa fans have always loved the punters or embraced the punters so much. I mean, there's been some really good ones. Obviously, Reggie Roby is a legend at Iowa from back in the early 80s. Uh, Jason Baker spent a pretty good chunk of time in the NFL. He was very good, I know. But I mean, is this something that Iowa fans have always like embraced the punt, or is, or is it
2: Tory? I feel like there's been a little bit of an affinity for the punter. Going back, Ryan Donahue was the... Was
4: I remember the me and my producer. roommate would go early and watch him.
2: Pun. Brian Ryan Ryan Donahue. Brian Donahue. Brian was in the league for a little bit. I think he was with yeah. Detroit.
4: I mean, yeah. David Bradley before David him, Bradley, him yeah. was, was good, but I don't think there's ever been like a cult following like like there are.
2: This now. has just been different. Yeah, and I don't know if it's just the the novelty, if you want to call it, of you know him coming in from Australia. Michael Sleep Dalton, I, Dalton, I believe, is Australian as well, who was a transfer from LSU uh-huh. a couple of years ago. He
4: is a weapon, though. I mean, without he his he
2: help, win that game.
4: Yeah, it's kind of wild just <laughs> to think how I many 10, 10 punts, five hundred and six yards punting, which is. I don't know how many times a team gets that many punting yards, but yeah. it's just an amazing display. And then I think um, six inside the the 20, I, it, it's just wild. And
3: this is, I think, a large reason why so many people talk about LeVar Woods as a head coach of some team in the future, um, is that he has perfected this special teams unit so magnificently. I mean, numbers. He, he, like <laughs> 50 <laughs> we yards. We just talked pun- about him, but then you see him printed it. It's yeah. ridiculous. But, I mean, the, the punt... unit is just, like, flawless. I mean, they – you know, the snap, the whole – you know, I mean, there's just nothing wrong with it. Kicking game, I mean, again, um, Stevens missed a couple last week, had one blocked, um, but he bounced back to hit a couple of 40-plus yarders Mm -hmm. this week. They're always, you know, good. I mean, they've had some great kickers over the last few years. I mean, they just – that special teams unit, as much as a defense does exactly what you want them to do, the special teams unit works to perfection. They are a finely tuned machine.
4: It's an overlooked aspect in college football. I don't know if any of you guys watched the Michigan State Rutgers game. One of the big plays that swung that, because they were up like two or three touchdowns, yeah. was a, a fumbled punt snap, the, 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 and then Rutgers scored a hmm. special teams touchdown, totally yeah. just swung that game. And if you get those errors, or on the opposite side, when you can return a kick for a touchdown, or pin him six times inside the 20, especially when Iowa wasn't even really having that good a field position. Mm-hmm. Sure. Torrey would just flip the field. What's the field, that is such. With the backup a quarterback in most of the back. second half, it, yeah. it's a huge
2: advantage. Like I said, Luke Elkin, the long snapper, or it's Jackson Subert from from Williamsburg or Tyler Kluver, the polecat himself. I I would legitimately be more surprised, Right, like if, if Torrey shanks a punt, hey, it happens when you have that many great ones, you're bound to have one. If Luke Elkin had a bad snap right now, my yeah. jaw would be on the floor. <laughs> he has been incredible. He earned that scholarship playing in Madison about an hour 45 from his uh, his hometown. Uh, so I'm sure he had a, a lot of fans there. But, boy, yeah. Luke Elkin, you, again, you talk about the, the weapon that a good puncher can be, a long snapper who is just tried and true and, and doesn't have – is I have zero fear of him Snapping over Tory's head. Granted, Tory's six three two. Tory could play. Tory could go play linebacker somewhere uh, if, if he wanted to. <laughs> His biceps are huge. He's he's and boy, you, you talked about Jason Baker, a guy who who made a heck of a living playing on Sundays and punting on Sundays. Tory. Uh, very much setting himself up. Forget about the collegiate awards. He's, he's got a pro career ahead of him if uh, he wants it. Too soon to make
3: Casey Kreider comparisons for... Uh, yeah, for Casey Kreider. Shame <laughs> on me for not bringing up Casey. I mean, they just... Still with the Giants.
2: I mean, uh, the he's guy's still in the NFL. He's been in the league for pushing a decade now. So, yeah. yeah, long snapping, also winning. Let's talk about the defense because, boy, Phil Parker, in case you haven't heard, knows how to coach up a defense. A, a day they'll talk about for years in Iowa City after that trip to Madison. Big hits. Disciplined coverage, just everything you would want out of an Iowa-Wisconsin game, particularly if Iowa's on the winning side. Jay Higgins uh, just setting it out there, and uh, Seb Castro, I believe, as well. Just this was a day that Iowa came in knowing what they needed to do, feeling like they could do it, and uh, a big reason, aside from the punting and long snapping and kicking, (laughs) Iowa comes home a winner because of Phil Parker's unit.
0: Um, defensively, yes. Me personally, no. Uh, I had a, had a couple, couple plays I wanted back, obviously. Um, but I mean, the way Castro was playing, uh, the way our communication was, the way the D-line, uh, handled the run game, um, I I feel like the defense, we did a great job just staying in it, competing. Um, and that's really all we, all we try to do. That's, that's what Iowa defense is about. Just keep fighting till, till the end of the game. I think it was early on. I feel like. This game was gonna come down to physicality. And uh um I feel like we came out there and we did that. We did just that. And uh I don't know if it was just me, but I could definitely feel it in like to feel it in the air. Like just the like we were I just felt like we were more dominant today. We we want we want the, the game in our hands and I mean if you ask anybody defensively, we feel most confident when when it's tough tough to win a game.
2: And more often than not, it's up to the defense to win that game so you love to hear that attitude uh boy you heard it from from both seven jay they just seem to have jay uh, was answering the question of if he felt like this was the best day for the defense so far in 2023 of course jay is going to be self-critical and say he left a few plays out there after he has the day that he has including a, a fumble recovery right there after the the graves hit but yeah, boy, it, it felt like this was a defense that came out confident, knocked Tanner Mordecai out of the game. Braylon Allen was bruised. and be, I mean, he was a little hurt, I think, coming into the game, maybe a little banged up. But, boy, uh, credit to Braylon Allen for finishing that game. But this did feel like, against a, a big test in an environment like that, yeah, this felt like the uh, – this felt like the best performance of the year even though Braylon Allen did get go over 3000 career yards in that game which
3: i mean again another big Wisconsin running back performance against yeah. an Iowa team joining the likes of Ron Dane, um but it still went just 87 yards net for Braylon Allen on Saturday i mean for them to hold Allen to a guy, a guy like that under 100 yards is pretty impressive and he took some hits
2: too yeah, big he took time hits he delivered went some out hits for an injury yeah. he did boy yeah
4: <laughs> he, he went out for an injury for a little bit for a for a drive yeah, he, braylon yeah. i don't know if you guys saw i saw a report this morning Mordecai broke a hand in his throwing, I wouldn't be surprised thrown, yeah. and he's out for like they said indefinitely for now it's so. it, it's, it,
2: it's sometimes overlooked I think just how severe an injury can be of just like just banging your head on or your hand on a helmet mm-hmm. like especially if you're throwing as hard as probably Tanner mm-hmm. guy throws look at his stats from his his time down south I mean that dude puts some some speed on the ball and yeah, just uh, he literally it was by his side, and you could see on the broadcast him saying, "I can't throw."
4: Yeah, I was going to ask and Owen that, if you could if you saw that on the sideline.
3: No, I, it took me a minute to even figure out that he like wasn't in the game, like for because I think it was late in this second quarter, right?
4: It was after the Jay Higgins hit on the sideline. He went for a play. It was a pass play, and you could tell he like mid, midway right, through yeah. he, he's like.
3: So it was just like scrambled. the last couple plays in the second quarter. I think yep. that uh, Lock is sorry. Is it Lock? It's Yeah, Brandon yep. Locke. Uh, that he came in. Um, and I was kind of like, why isn't Mordecai in there? And I asked the people around me, and nobody really knew, like, because nobody could see that he, like, left the game. It was game pretty seamless so when
4: he got out. Yeah. yeah. He, so Mouth over, I can't, I can't throw.
3: So somebody just theorized, like, oh, maybe, you know, they just don't want to risk an injury. So, like, they weren't going to push it on this drive down the field late in the first half, so they're just putting it in lock. Um, but— yeah, so then they came back out, Locke's still the quarterback in the second half, and um, n- I don't think anybody down there on the sideline shooting the game really knew what happened to Mordecai.
2: Yeah, it was tough. I did see some post from somebody, I don't know if they saw it on TV or if they were maybe overly speculating or what, they said that you could see as he was going to the locker room his hand was already starting to swell, mm-hmm. if they just could see, like, the puffiness or something. Yeah, but yeah that doesn't surprise me. That that stinks. Um, boy, Tanner Mordecai's a fun player to, to yeah. watch, so you hope he's good, but like I said, Locke, Kind of reminded me of not the same player, but just the the impact that Rocco Beck had against uh, Iowa earlier this year. Just like you see that kid make a th- few throws, I mean, I had a scramble that dude needs to learn how to slide a little bit, especially against a mm-hmm. defense like Iowa's playing the way they did Saturday. But boy, he looks good. One of those one of those guys that you see like, oh, he's good, and now we got to worry about him for the next you know three <laughs> years every time uh, Iowa faces up against Wisconsin. But you heard from Seb Castro, you saw Seb Castro. What? a day for number 29. The birthday boy turned 23 on Saturday. With the tackles, guy wraps up like nobody's business. Had the interception to seal things there. A selfless move that Owen Sebring inquired about after the game.
3: Your, your, your interception probably would have been six points if you would have kept going with it. Was it hard to lay down for that one?
0: Uh, ah, yeah. you What do you think? <laughs> nah, it uh, nah wasn't that hard to be honest. Uh, the win. I can't ask for more, like, on the, bur- on the birthday, I can't ask. For- like I, had a, I think I had a pretty good day today, so I, I think I had enough, you know. But um, I did, the thought did come to my mind, but I, I wasn't going to do it. It's fun because I know he's behind me, um, and I don't know where he's at, but I just see a flash, a white jersey flash, um, and I, I know he's coming down to do bad things to whoever has the ball.
2: And as a great internet philosopher once said, it's fun to do bad things. <laughs> Sebastian Castro, just, again, the thing that sticks out to me more, it, it, I believe Phil Parker talked about him like this, uh, and I think Kirk's talked about it as well, that he came in as a freshman and he's always been this fast and quick to the ball or flying around, he just hasn't always had direction. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and so he was kinda kind of Luis Mendoza from D2 the Mighty Ducks. He's fast as heck, but doesn't always know how to stop. Didn't have the right direction um boy he has just turned into a really really special player that because he plays on a defense with cooper DeGene mm-hmm. and jay higgins and all these other great players why black again had an awesome game up front and nick jackson coming in for, from virginia but more and more really since that bowl game uh, against kentucky and music city bowl seb castro just more and more he leads the team in interceptions now yeah castro, and he probably has he's probably right up there for tackles for loss i mean just. He wraps up a leg, and he does not let go. There's there's a lot
3: of games where he, much like Jay Higgins, is not necessarily a super standout player out there maybe where he's going to have like a lot of like vicious hits or uh, some sacks or something but it's just like the numbers just keep piling up for guys like that where they're in on every play they're close to the ball they're doing something to make a difference out there and Saturday was just the game where Seb
2: Castor really stood out that like oh wow this guy like really can do some things out he there. He runs past Locke uh, right before YA's safety but he kind of blocks off that angle for Locke to not be able to get away and then of course <laughs> yeah just gets flat. I mean, that, that was a little of the, uh, maybe the old Sebastian was just like, let's just run as fast as we can. I don't know. But he, <laughs> yeah. he set up that safety for sure. Just a final thought on the defense. I mean, it's yeah. been two weeks
3: now where they have made life miserable for these quarterbacks. I mean, Hudson card last week and both of Wisconsin's quarterbacks this week. I mean, they have had a very unpleasant time in their own backfield. I mean, gosh, this front seven for Iowa is really making a, incredible
2: impact on these and That's games
4: where we had weeks. some concerns early on with the three sacks in the first four or five games yeah. but uh, ever since you know, the past two weeks it's it's been a total 180.
2: Yeah. I can't remember the number off the top of my head because it was even without the sacks and we talked about this too of just the pressure was there. I mean they were hurrying the quarterback or impacting however they could and they brought up the number on the yeah, broadcast that's what and I was can't remember say. what they were like
4: They said third in s- the country third in the nation. FBS I mean. Third yeah. in FBS and, and QB hits I think or QB hurries one of Something those two. Something like
2: that. I mean they're I don't know you don't find have those to have those sacks to <laughs> be influencing the passing game and, and making an impact that way. And that was, yeah, the the floodgates will open sooner or later, and we've seen that happen a few times now. But don't, don't for a second think that front seven's not doing something to disrupt the passing game. We've seen it time and again now. Hudson Card, again, credit to him for finishing that game uh, a couple weeks ago with Purdue. And then again, knocking Tanner Mordecai out of this one. That front seven is... Swarming, mm-hmm. pun intended, to to get to the quarterback. And
4: once Mordecai came, went out, I think they brought more pressure. I know Seb yeah. came a, a few times, and and Cooper came. Well, I guess that was a early on in the, in the game when he when he stuffed that fourth down run. Yeah. That was kind of like a jumbo package. So yeah, I mean, that
2: was a big big play early for you know Wisconsin to decide we're going to draw a line in the sand and for Iowa to respond the way they did. Let's talk about the offense though, because despite what the internet says, Iowa does have a semblance of no offense. And if you go into Madison and run for 200 yards, you're probably doing something right. Boogie Williams, dancing all the way to a big, big day and helping the Iowa in the midst of a, a sea of body blows. Again, with that haymaker, the 82 yarder. Talked about Brian Farrens coming to the running back room, maybe to the O-line as well, and, and setting a bit of a challenge uh, in the not too distant past.
0: Before this game, we had a Brian here sat down with us. We left. He felt like we left a lot of yards out there on the field, just us being too fast to like to the handoff. Basically, we getting the ball a little bit like too too deep into the lineman, so we missing a couple cuts, uh, seeing it from front or to back. So today, our main goal was just to really like be patient, and as we be patient, because we got to let the guys up front work. And as I was being patient today, as you can see, they was working, they was making holes, and my job just to run through them. So yeah. Oh man, they, they doing a hell of a job, man. Every week I feel like they getting better. Um, as you can see, them boys work hard. Um, today was one of like a, a big challenge for them. They lived up to the challenge and I feel like they impo- uh, imposed they will.
2: It was, so on that 82 yarder, and we, we've got the video of it we'll show again because why not watch him play like that again. That little stutter step he has in the backfield. Uh, he, uh, LeSean, Kind of credit of that is like what he's not supposed to be doing of like no i'm supposed to take the handoff and hit the hole it's like man without that like mm-hmm. you don't set up that right side of the line hayden large had an awesome block on that play too and that that springs him free and then the stiff arm he just that's a special special run and listen we've heard the chance the the dialogue has been all over the place for a couple of years now brian ferens was right He's whatever he said talk, talking about maybe taking the the handoffs a little too close to the line, not giving an opportunity for blocks to set up. Whatever they did in Madison, you don't it doesn't happen a lot to walk in there to Camp Randall and run for 200 yards again. Leshawn with 174 on the ground, Caleb Johnson 17 carries 35, but boy, he had a couple runs that were real nice and he was real close. LeSean had one where he just tripped over Deacon's leg on a on a little read there and. Uh, if he doesn't trip there, you could already see the block setting up. Caleb had another one, too, that there was maybe an opportunity. Uh, Seth Anderson, guy likes sweeps, mm-hmm. didn't, didn't get to run him a lot at Charleston Southern, wants to run him more, but you saw there, like, he's got an affinity for him. Yep. He can he can uh, find the space, and, and that can be a play, especially as the passing game continues to, to struggle a little bit. But just an awesome play there, and uh, boy, that's another one of those games that really, or one of those performances that really seems to show you the, the maturation and the progress of the offensive line and George, George Barnett's unit there. And that's another one of those that as you get into these last five games and you know you don't have Eric All, and we'll talk about him a little bit, you don't have Luke Lachey. They said on the, the broadcast he's going to try to come back for the bowl game. We talked about that last week as well. So that would be awesome to get him back for any sort of game. And, of course, uh, you know just waiting to, to get the passing game going somehow. If you can have a performance like that against a defense like that that can build a lot of confidence as you come into the home stretch. I think it was the
3: Western Michigan game where so many guys had carries and yeah. they were talking about this being RBU. And uh, they've been banged up so much this season that it's been hard to really get a grasp of this team and their running game at its full potential. Because it seems like, I don't know if there's been a game where, if you if you count the top three backs as uh, Caleb, LeSean, and Jazz, I don't think there's been any one game where all three of those guys have been active or healthy.
4: I mean, it seems like there's always some Utah State. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, Jazz got a couple plays, didn't he? But didn't get I don't carried. know if he had
2: a touch. But yeah, he <clears throat> went out on a on a wheel at one point. And maybe had yeah. a couple other
3: snaps, but but boy, I mean, yeah, these last couple weeks. I mean, this is just a look at what this team can do to you when the running backs are healthy and they're they're dangerous. With <laughs> with I mean, as much as a passing game is going to struggle, um, that running game is uh, going to make up for it in a lot of ways. It's
4: the yeah. only part of the the team where you really have major questions moving forward. We were talking earlier about you know looking at the remaining schedule and wins losses going on and. If this offense, you know, this passing offense could evolve a little bit, you know, it's going to be hard to do without Eric Hall, without Luke Lachey. I mean, Cade McNamara obviously out, like top three, arguably. If you take out the running backs, players on the offense are out. So it's going to be tough to to get consistent yards. You saw in the game, they start off three for four on third downs. They end up only converting four times and the fourth time was that touchdown. Mm. And those were, were like four for 17 on third downs when they started off so well. Um, I don't know if it has anything to do with the scripted plays. You know, they start with 15 scripted plays or whatever. But then they went six drives in a row with three and outs, and it's like if you could sprinkle in some consistency without having a big, you know, lull on the offensive side, this team, I think, would obviously benefit. But can they do that moving forward? There's about five games left, to, you know, to figure it out. But that's going to be one of the tough ones.
2: And I think in in that span of six drives, and I might be mistaken, but you had the the trip over Deacon's feet or, you know, that yeah. can be a big play. It, it, it's so easy to sometimes think like, it, and again, Fox throws the graphic up and then that becomes the screen grab for the week, kind of just like six drives, three yep. yards, all that. But like, boy, you get one to break the right way and you're literally not tripping over a foot there. You know, it, it changes everything. It, yeah, that's one play, but as we saw with an 82 yarder one play can can make all the difference. If that safety becomes a touchdown, the score looks a little different, even though Mm -hmm. I think the safety locked it up just as much as a touchdown would have. It's, yeah, just especially with the Iowa narrative of just what the offense has or has not done, then you get a stretch like that where it's just that, just another chapter in it. But of course, another chapter of Iowa's 2023 season is injuries. Eric All, we don't know, but we probably kind of know. Might not be seeing him again this season. Just a really Really brutal injury, just so tough to see on top of everything else we've seen with Eric and Cade. And uh, again, Kirk I- explaining just the situation after the game and Deacon explaining that Eric all continues to be Eric all even in a situation like that.
1: Yeah, he's injured, so it's not good. And we'll, we'll know uh, early next week, but uh, it's tough. And it's it's you know, like, like everybody's been hurt this year. It's just really tough for the individual. So. Wish I had good news. I don't have bad news yet, but uh, we'll know that Monday or Tuesday.
0: My heart goes out to Eric. Uh, I talked to him on the sideline. He's always in good spirits. He's cracking jokes. I don't know how I'm angry like that. Cracking jokes at that time, but um, yeah, just next man up. You know, Steve, still the honest, did a great job. So did Scooz.
2: Yeah, Johnny Pascuzzi, uh, first career catch, I believe, for one yard exactly, but <laughs> here's the play again. Uh, we'll we'll keep it in that speed. We mm-hmm. won't speed it up because that was just, Just so tough and and the the look on his face here and as he's getting carted off, just uh, again, a a guy who's who's come in first year in the program and it's been so fun to get to talk to him uh, mostly every week as much as we can. A lot of times it's on Zoom. But just such an insightful young man on top of just being a wonderful football player. Yeah, and that it just breaks your heart. But then you see him on crutches afterwards, smiling. smiling. So love to see that. Uh, Hayden Large, man, what does his role become? I, he's almost too good of a fullback now. You don't move him in. You heard an X-man in. Yeah. Um, and, and so maybe that's a possibility. But boy, that that was the the highlight, at least, of, yeah. of a, a tough day for Eric All Seeing him smiling, crutching himself off. You hate to see that scenario, but for him to to hear that he was still like that on the sideline with Deacon, everybody trying to, trying to keep morale up, keep his own morale up. I'm sure that's, that's all you can ask for. But yeah, certainly next man in um, just boy, just, stinks all of us that have talked to eric all have just had the
3: best things to say about him he just seems like the most positive guy the most introspective uh, philosophical guy in the post-game press conferences really has interesting and insightful uh input um about the game and what he sees out there and and that just does fit his character what we saw because after the game i mean you're you're used to even in the even in a uh win you know when a guy gets injured you know you, do, you usually don't see any smiles and them walking off but he was still just happy enjoying the team win out there talking with his buddies uh, even for him to give a thumbs up he's, he's getting carted off at a road game, <laughs> much yeah. less where you know, he doesn't have to. He could have just you know, been looking down, had a towel, a towel over his head, head. It, yeah. um, but he has the presence of mind to just like, give a little thumbs up to the crowd, even though he probably knew that it was not a thumbs up no, type of situation. No. Um, he's, he's a good dude, and, and boy, I hate just seeing that for him.
4: Yeah, on the broadcast, Owen, I don't know if you caught this, they showed Cade when that injury happened, and just yeah. the look on his face was really. made it somehow worse just because, you know, those two are super close, come from Michigan, yeah. and they're buds, and they both have knee injuries. It's so devastating. Yeah. And talking about how positive him or he is as a person when we hear him talk, Lachey's the same way. Do you remember that yeah. soundbite when he's like, Trilene's I just, my favorite. yeah, I mean, my favorite. He's, <laughs> he's
2: my favorite. He's butt of the Elf. Why her, does this yeah, have I to
4: happen? I, 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 you know, I hope it never happens to anyone, but yeah. these two kids are like a cu- couple of the, you know, the, least po- most positive ones on the team it's, it's really tough That's to see. true. And I I have
3: I have this input. You can tell me what you guys think. I think that this Eric All injury is the one that hurts the Iowa offense the most of anybody so far. And the reason I say that is because, you know, Lachey went down, which sucks, but we kind of knew, all right, we've they've got Eric all there and Eric All's a pretty good tight end. Now that Eric all goes down, I don't have that same level of confidence in in the rest of the tight end room right now. I mean, I'd love to see something out of Stigliano. is a great kid. I really like him. I'd love to see it, but have not seen anything out of him so far. Piscuzzi, I don't know. Ostranga, he was out this week. I I don't know. Maybe maybe he could be the guy, but um, this, I think, is where it really hurts. And Cade, when he went down, again, as much as it stinks, he had not been putting up incredible numbers, and I didn't think it was going to be a huge drop off from Cade to Deacon. Um, and so I was like, "Well, we, you know, this team gets by on its defense anyway, so you know, this isn't going to hurt the team." Um, you know, an incredible amount going from Cade to Deacon,
2: but Eric All going down—that's going to have a significant impact going. Because he was, he's essentially become, especially against Purdue, a wide receiver threat. They split him out. He was quite Deacon's a bit favorite too, target, and, yeah, and ninety-four percent of catches against <laughs> Purdue were were to Eric All.
4: I mean, the first two catches were were to him, yeah. I believe. I yeah. well, I know Nico had one. A, I can't remember if it was the third catch of, yeah. down,
2: down the middle. On I think it was great the third. Throw, down, the first it? one yeah, was. Great. Hey, listen. So that brings us to uh, a viewer, listener, consumer question sent in by uh, wants to remain anonymous for the sake of the internet, I suppose. His uh, name. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> is it Brock? Uh, uh, an old friend? Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> is Deacon a better fit for this offense with the lack of consistent pass catchers and playmakers than Cade? Since he he Deacon can throw it downfield their time or two and maybe keep the defense a little more honest um, and still be able to have the running attack do what he can. I kind of get that and I've kind of thought about that too. Of Listen, I was not gonna be a 30 pass a game team the rest of the way, more than likely, unless they get down and, and have to in, in a close game. You could argue they won't be a 20 pass a game play or hmm. a 20 pass attempt uh, a game team. But the fact that Deacon probably has the stronger arm compared to Cade mm-hmm that maybe you do have an, an opportunity to, to go deep to Seth or go whoever, bring somebody out of the backfield as well. Do you think, and I, I think it's more, maybe it's not a question, more of a discussion of does Deacon's potential threat of that help in this scenario more than, you know, Cade, Cade can throw a deep ball. We saw the first play of the season go mm-hmm. to Seth, um, first pass of the season. What, what is – does Deacon help that situation at all? Like, hey, like, yeah, we're gonna run it a bunch, but we also have a dude who can go over the top.
4: I think in theory it makes sense, yeah. but you have to complete one of them. Like one <laughs> of them yeah, first. Right. Um, you know, I thought Vines had a step on his guy, that leap throw yeah. they did throw it. A little overthrown, but if it, it would might have been a jump ball if he put it on target, so who knows. But I, again, you have to hit them. Yeah, I wonder if teams just start, you know, nine, 10 guys in the box, Going forward until they actually do that, and then yeah. once they do it, like you said, Mitch, before we were talking before the game, yeah. then then you, wha- whatever you opposing coach and looks, and looks like a fool, everything. yeah. But um, but yeah, I, it, it would be nice to see, but I I don't see it. I would love to see it in the next few games. Yeah,
3: I I I could agree with that statement once Deacon Hill becomes fully comfortable in this offense. Sure. I mean, you know, if you get the the game against Purdue version of Deacon Hill, uh, that's not, gr- I mean, yeah, just the amount of overthrows, it's like, you know, that's great that he has a good arm, but like uh, hit some receivers and, and then we'll talk. Um, so I can kind of see what he's saying, but um, they are saying, I don't want to assume male or female, but um, yeah, I I wouldn't agree, I wouldn't disagree, I guess, either. I've
4: yeah. got another question to you guys I just came up with, because I got the receiving stats for the year. Eric All was our leading receiver, 21 catches, 299 yards. Mm-hmm. Luke Lachey is still second, yeah. 131 yards. Do they are they gonna end the season as the top two <laughs> receivers? Nico has eighty-three yards. I don't so he would have to get Ooh. if he doubles that through seven games, he doesn't reach air calls. Number He's right.
3: not hundred yards within air call if he no. doubles
4: it.
2: <laughs> I have to think they're gonna have a couple big plays in the passing game as, as Deacon gets more settled in and guys catch. I mean, it might not be an egregious amount, but we talked uh in the preseason or maybe it was one of the first couple games of Kevante Martin Manley. And I believe it was 2014 had like 330 yards receiving. It was the leading receiver for Iowa 300 might, it's going to be a lot like Sam Brownlee in, Mm in 2004 running for 220 some and being the leading rusher, you know, because I think, Losing your top two tight ends for Iowa in 2023 is a lot like losing your top five running backs in 2004. Yeah, of just like you're you're just gonna have to get by with what you got. And listen, Nico has shown he he can be a guy and make plays. Seth has shown that. Deonte has had opportunities as well. Uh, listen, there, there's guys that are gonna catch the ball. The numbers might not be outrageous, but I also saw you talked about uh, you know Eric All smiling after that game in a really downtrodden situation. You see Seth Anderson and those receivers back there, too. They're looking pretty happy, too. I think yeah. this team is very much bought into the the words that Kirk talks about. It's just, hey, we're just trying to win, and guys are going to do whatever they have to within their – I don't know if they consider they're, – they're wide receivers, but they're, they're split ends. They're flankers now. They, they're not the receivers, so to speak. They're just out – They're out there doing what they have to in that position on the field to help this team collectively win. I I personally,
3: I don't think anybody's going to catch Eric All's yardage. I have a really hard time seeing that happen. I think that we will see whoever does step in as tight end one. I don't know who that is, whether it's Estrenga, whether it's Piscuzzi, whether, you know, we've talked about if they potentially might move Hayden Large back to tight end. I'd, we'll ask Kirk about that maybe tomorrow, but um, wh- whoever it is, I think we'll get, you know, a good amount of uh, touches, we'll get a good amount of targets that they're going to, you know, get maybe a couple hundred yards out there, and maybe they'll involve the running backs a little bit more in the pass game right now, you know, give, give Caleb and LeSean some some catch opportunities. I
4: wonder if this moves them to less two tight end sets and more three receiver sets. Yeah.
2: yeah. I, they, they, they like to go shotgun with Deacon. They've, yeah. they've shown that, and I think maybe... I don't know if he's more comfortable than that, but I mean, it gives him time to see the field. And if you're going to get more receivers out there, it feels like it might work. This is a, a wild note, though, as we talk about injuries and figuring stuff out. At some point, and for various stretches this season, I put this out on Saturday, Iowa has missed these players, whether it was to injury or suspension. Cade McNamara, Caleb Johnson, Jazz Patterson, Luke Lachey, Eric All, Addison Estrenga, Nick DeYoung, Noah Shannon, Jam- Jamari Harris. If you tell people in early August that for various stretches all of those guys are going to be out, but post Wisconsin you're going to be six and one and controlling your destiny in the West, that's insane. Mm-hmm. Do you? <laughs> that's insane. Uh, for you guys who have followed Iowa for
3: a lot longer than I have, and I'd be curious to hear if any listeners, viewers want to uh, weigh in, in any of the comments. Do you have any recollection of an Iowa season like this? where there were not even just this amount of injuries, but this amount of significant injuries. Has there 04. been a season like that? It's 04.
4: Yeah. Okay. Which I think
2: that's it's why. The champs big like
4: champs, too. Like they, yeah.
2: It was the running backs. I don't know if anyone It was running back. That. I mean, that's, yeah, it was Sam Brownlee, the pride of Emmitsburg, yeah. who literally had, like, 229 yards rushing for the entire season, and that <laughs> led the team. Yeah. Because it was just, it was the Drew Tate show. Throwing to Clinton Solomon and Ed Hinkle, and Scott Chandler was on that 0-4 team, yep. right? Yep. Hmm. Um, a lot of dudes who are around here now. Both Chandler and Eddie Hinkle uh, still, still still repping 319 and coaching uh, area teams. That's it. I think it immediately comes to mind of just that, that season where just everyone
3: got hurt. Was it all running backs this year? Or were there other positions too?
2: That
4: year? I believe it was. I mean, there's probably other injuries. I, none come to mind, but I know all the
2: top four running backs were out. Wow. I think, was Marcus Schnoor the, the starter that year? Another local coach? I'm probably forget. Oof, I, I mean, know. when you lose five running backs, yeah, you forget who was the starter in 04. Uh, my point is that they've weathered a lot of storms and continue <laughs> to weather storms, and it's going to keep raining a little bit in terms of who is going to stay out. But uh, boy, just, uh, yeah, win and survive in advance and, and get ready for Minnesota. Obviously, we'll talk a lot more about that on Wednesday, but we've got basketball to talk about right after this. Welcome back to who was I was starting running back in 2004. <laughs> uh, I think we've figured out it was a, uh, a litany of guys going into that. But, uh, yeah, their, their roster, before we get to crossover at Kinnick, I know we really want to talk about that. Marcus Schnoor was a junior. Damian Sims, Albert Young were freshmen on that team, along with Tom Bush, fullback, uh, Taylor Struby, Aaron, uh, Aaron Mickens was a fullback as well. Sam Brownlee, Champ Davis, uh, Jamel Lewis, Kevin Sherlock, Marquis Simmons. So um, most of those guys were hurt or not playing in 2004. Hence, uh, Sam Brownlee coming out big number 48, uh, holding it down as Iowa got a share of the Big Ten championships. Speaking of Big Ten championships, Iowa women's basketball on a day that they are going to talk about forever and ever at Kinnick Stadium. 55,000 plus The record is gone in terms of (laughs) attendance for a women's college basketball game in America. Just one of the coolest scenes you're ever gonna see. Lisa Bluter and anybody else in this soundbite, Mike? You cut it a little later.
4: Yeah, it was uh, Caitlin and uh, Kate Martin.
2: There you go, just, uh, boy, the the triumvirate of uh, a big part of the foundation in making an uh, an event like this possible, recapping a historic day at Kinnick Stadium.
4: You have an idea, and it could fall flat, you know, if nobody shows up. But man, Hawks fans showed up today—55,000, breaking the record. Um, getting to play outside into Kinnick, it was like a dream. The most important thing for me to do is say thank you to every single person that came to this game today. Um, they were a part of history, and I, I can't thank them enough. The wave for us to be able to do the wave at the Children's Hospital—that was incredible. Um, you know it. I'm I'm really speechless about that. Um, The money that we raised goes to the Children's Hospital, a quarter of a million dollars today. Um, I I can't thank my administration enough. Uh, When I went to Bath a week after the final four last year and I said, I have this idea, most people, a lot of administrators I know would say, you're crazy and think of every reason why not to do it. And instead, she thought of every reason she should do it. And to me, that is uh, that's
2: pretty special. Just the way people support women's athletics here in the state of Iowa, I think it's pretty incredible as a whole. But obviously, women's basketball, especially. So, I'm just lucky that you know I get to play here and put on an Iowa jersey every day. And um, you know, they're not just coming here to be a part of you know a historic moment. They're in the game. They're invested. They're cheering. They're loud. They know what's going on, and that's what only adds to the fun for all of us. It's really fun that we get to be able to do something like this for
4: a greater good. We got to you know write off a quarter of a million dollar check for the Children's Hospital like how cool is that it's you know whenever you can use your platform um, for something better something bigger something way more important than winning a basketball game I just think that is so special and I'm really grateful that I can just be a part of that
2: Lisa Bluter in in the circle the famous circle uh, before yesterday's game women's basketball shared this video she told the team quote When I started coaching and playing, I was lucky to play in front of 50 people, let alone 50,000. That's how far we've come. That's how far this game has come. That's how far you, her players, have taken it. Without what you did last year, this would not be happening.
3: Yeah, Lisa said there in that post-game press conference, you know, you dream up something like this and it's a possibility bringing out two of the Hawks, by the way, good for them. Um, I mean, it's like there was no chance that that was going to happen. As soon as Lisa, I think, saw the Pentacrest and saw the final four ten, she's like, "Oh no, we can we can fill up Kinnick pretty pretty completely if uh, if we do this thing out there." Um, so she had the right idea, and it was it was a good call for it's them. It's
2: just I can't fathom living in a moment like that that you've helped create that collective team there again, mm-hmm. being down in Dallas and watching. So many people drop what they were doing to drive 13 hours south. That, and you saw it with the entrance into Kinnick and, and doing the the hawk walk, going past the Nile Kinnick statue. That aerial shot that they had there. They had a similar one. The uh, the hawk vision team and the uh, the flight crew team of that red carpet in Dallas, walking into the American Airlines Center or American Airlines Arena, whatever it's called, and just that that rock star transcendent feeling of this team is so much bigger than a game. Yep. We, we said it in, in March and April, just they are changing the way the sport is consumed beyond nationally probably at this point. Yeah. I mean, they are 55,000 people in mid-October filled a football stadium to watch an exhibition. Yeah. It's <laughs> incredible. And
3: keeping in mind too that like this was not, some headlines were mistaken in this where they were saying, or were at least underselling is saying this is the most, uh, people at a college women's basketball game, like no, this is the most people at a women's sure. basketball yeah. game. Period. Professional, otherwise,
2: uh, ever on the same day that I think the WNBA set the record for like tickets sold at the gate for a, a finals game or something. Really? I mean, yesterday was a day that will stand in red letters hmm. in the history of women's athletics worldwide. That's why I
3: was telling everybody I could to get to this game because. You go to that game, you will remember this forever. I mean, I, I was. Like, like, almost shot like
2: that. Just a simple shot of a layup <laughs> with blue sky. Like, that's. That is. Aesthetically it was one of those your mind. It was
4: but, one of those, like, you'll never forget. I was in the stands as a fan, and just the entire time, you know, if, if I went to any basketball game, exhibition game, it's like, I'm probably leaving at halftime because I don't, you know, I don't. Yeah. I want to kind of see it because the basketball season's here. But this whole thing, it was so interesting. And even during the game, there were times when. I think DePaul hit three threes before Iowa did. And we're like, I wonder if the wind is impacting. And everyone behind me were like, I wonder if the depth perception is impacting our shooters because they're really good and they were kind of missing to start the game. And yeah. just little things like that where... It was just a unique experience.
3: Yeah. I mean just shooting that game was such a surreal experience too, because it's like I've never had a basketball game where I've had to worry about white. shadows. <laughs> <White> <laughs> like <laughs> balance. Oh, this is half of the court's in shadows, the other half is in light, oh, and it's like throwing off the white balance out there. I mean,
2: just like That's something inside to never baseball, get. but I understand yeah. <laughs> that struggle for sure. Yeah. The uh, sun setting, what do I do? Yeah. But, I loved seeing the the back in black mm-hmm. tunnel walk. That on the football side, you see everyone is just so stoic and just locked in, and the players here are like hugging each other and just like <laughs> mes- like just yeah absolutely loving every set. It's one of the coolest things. Yeah, like you guys said, that we'll ever see, whether you watched it on TV, in the crowd, or covering it. it that is just a moment that again is is history, history. Whatever there. you want to say, they will unless they start filling up Cowboy Stadium. <laughs> They will never break that. It's incredible. I hope they break that record because it means more progress. But, yeah. man,
3: yeah. it's great. Uh, uh, Lisa made the comment about after the game when she was talking to this to the fans, they gave her the microphone on the court. And, I mean, you could tell she was really getting choked mm-hmm. up just seeing what, what she was able to, to bring to Kinnick Stadium yesterday. Um, but she said, like, nobody could do this like the state of Iowa. And, and it really got me thinking literally how many other states, colleges, places could – Fill a stadium with 55,000 people for a women's college basketball game. It's probably not zero other places, but it's probably not five other places. I mean, South Carolina can maybe do it. UConn could probably do LSU it. LSU would. Does their football have stadium? A shot. Yeah, that's LSU true. LSU for sure probably would. I don't know if UConn's football stadium holds 55,000 people regardless. Now list, Nebraska's
4: but, women' basketball doesn't isn't as good as as you know Iowa's and these programs we're talking about, but they did fill ninety thousand for volleyball, yes, which is really which cool, is so dif- cool, different sport, but different for still sure. Cool. And
2: I hope people can stop and it's it's the minority doing this of comparing the two. Mm-hmm. Just celebrate the fact that we're in a time where you can put ninety thousand in a stadium for women's volleyball, fifty five thousand in a stadium for women's basketball. Yeah. What a friggin' awesome era to live in. Yeah. Anybody that wants to compare the two, it's like. Nebraska, That's just Huskers, Iowa stuff. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> and Nebraska
3: would not fill a Memorial Stadium for a women's basketball game, and I would not fill Kinnick for yeah. a college volleyball game. I mean, let's just true. get real on just both se- sides. celebrate what you're great at, yeah. no yeah. matter what it is. UConn it's Stadium
4: uh, just, seats 40,000, so now you really? can I'd yeah. do some
3: They could still probably check. fill it if they put uh, that <laughs> basketball team out there. Yeah, I bet they would. Oh, man. But, just so just, uh, it, it was one of those days where, you know, I, I, I mean, we'll talk forever about how lucky I am to do this job and to be have a front seat for so many incredible and cool sporting events, both in Iowa and a nationwide stage. Um, Yesterday was one that like, it was a little hard for me to enjoy. I did enjoy it, but it was hard because I'm like, it's, when you are the one that gets to tell these stories, I'm just like thinking the whole time, like I want to tell the story well, and I get so worried about that and so caught up in the moment, like, how am I, I sh- going to shoot a stand-up? Well, am I going to like get all the right information in there? Am I going to edit it well? I mean, it's so hard to capture everything perfectly because it's such a big moment. You want to, try to show that to the viewers, how big the stage is and how big the moment is, and so I get a little stressed out about it, so I probably wasn't able to enjoy it to the full capacity that I'd like to, but still, I, I will always get to say that I was there on the sideline and saw it
4: happen,
2: and so, you know, I'm-,
4: did I'm You did a good job. I watched The Nine last night, so. Yeah.
2: Well, thank you. We also or need 10, to take, our, take our hats off and tip our caps to the 36-hour stretch you <laughs> had. So you, at 48 hours, shoot. You, you co-host Eastern Iowa OT on Friday night here at this desk. After doing the morning show with Jan Jensen After doing morning. the morning show. So 60 hours, 60 hours. We get it. You work a lot. So you you make an appearance on the morning show Friday with, with Coach Jensen in there. You do high school football Friday night. In the rain. You, you wake up. <laughs> Torrential. I'm, I'm in the middle of praising you. Just let me do it. I get it. There Keep was going. no other. No, now no, I'll uh, let you finish. You, run a, you wake up and run a 5K mm-hmm. Saturday morning. Hot, hot cider hustle, I believe, 5K. Yeah, that's a huge, I mean. Talk about turnout. Yeah, Holy smokes. Dude. There's a lot of people there people, for that. Man, people in Cedar Rapids love their 5Ks. Uh, <laughs> so after that, instead of resting up, you drive to Madison, mm-hmm. cover a, a Heartland Trophy win for Iowa, drive back, of the elf sleep pattern of probably 40 minutes of sleep, <laughs> wake up and go cover a, an incredible event at Kinnick State. That's, I mean, I know you love this job and you talk about that. That's mm-hmm. a lot, though. That's a ton of stuff, but it's also it's one of those examples of, it feels like work, probably in moments, but I also yeah. imagine you—you you pinch yourself a couple of times. Oh, that's sure. just like that's just—it's just, it's just awesome. some applause. Yeah, there you go. Thank. you. <laughs> it, I got. It's not that, public domain. That's I, from a specific <laughs> event. That's a nine thousand dollar applause. <laughs>
3: It, I got back last night to my apartment about 11.30, and I did. I was just like, I don't want to talk to anybody right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm just ready to let my brain relax and put on some 30 rock. Um, Amen. There's, there's a couple th- – well, I, I will say that, like, I got an okay night's sleep on Saturday night. Usually I'm going to wake up and go to church on Sunday morning, but I was like, no, I need sleep <laughs> more wow. than anything right now. Uh, one, one aspect of the weekend that you forgot um, was that on – I tried. Uh, was that on Saturday night um, – I drove an extra hour because there's that part after Dubuque where you have to like veer to the right to go back to Cedar Rapids or you go straight. I forgot about that part. And I, I got about probably 20 more minutes I would have been in Davenport, I think. And then I pulled up the maps. How far am I from the station? An hour and 15 minutes, I should be like 20 minutes away. And so I had to like take. A- Dang, yeah. that's why you get your sleep Friday oh, night, so you're man. not delirious
2: behind the wheel I was on so pissed at myself. Oh, I'm like, man. how could I do such a thing? If that's oh. the one hiccup of the weekend, <laughs> yeah, there's worse. You may you might have skipped trips someday, but you see, you seem uh, you seem blessed there, man. It's just so cool to see. Um, speaking of things that aren't necessarily blessed, let's recap our picks from uh, from the mm-hmm. weekend. Just a, another wild Big Ten weekend. Uh, everybody hit on Michigan. Uh, boy, Indiana just rough uh ohio state really locked in and took care of business against purdue rutgers again uh, we all missed on rutgers man, but, but hey credit michigan state changed quarterbacks and uh they they got to do their in case what was the final of that rutgers michigan state game
4: 27 24 i think oh, rutgers so came bare, back and won really
2: missed it um yeah. shame on me for putting faith in in the minutemen <laughs> I, I told y'all <laughs> yeah thank I you i felt good about it for a while like all right like you know hey they're Penn State's going to pack it in. 63, they won't pile it on. They'll be nice. Nope. 63 nothing. There should That's almost be a 30-for-30 30
3: 30 about UMass football because it's like they've been bad for as long as I can remember. It's It's, it's incredible.
2: It's tough. Illinois. Uh,
4: Who saw that coming? <laughs> Kaysen? I don't know.
2: Yeah, Kate, <laughs> Kaysen. Kaysen. yeah. He's not here yet. But, um, yep, that happened too. And then... Uh, Mike, I I, I like told, being I, wrong I, I in that last you, game. Don't, don't say you like being wrong. Let's I told just you say... I was trying to talk you into being an Iowa's advantage, and you flipped the pick. But
3: <laughs> I, I will say it's interesting that all Still all three of us were correct on all of our picks for the first six weeks of the season. I'm the in terms of our preseason prediction picks sure. of the schedule. I'm the first one to miss on a game because I thought Wisconsin beat Iowa in the preseason, and so. Um, I'm the first one to have a blemish on the record.
2: So I uh, Mike leading the way so far with picks 2019 and two, Owen 18, 21, and 2, and me who went Ofer or 1 and 6 or something in the first week, 17, 22.
4: Not bad considering.
2: Probably our I, best you know, week I'm a
4: rallier.
3: I'm a rallier. All of us were three and three this week. That's like the best we've done, I think, as a as a unit for
2: <laughs> hey, the uh, I mean, first seven weeks. We're still season. losing money. If we were betting these, we're not oh, betting these, but uh, yeah, we can do better. All right, so thank you for the patience uh, waiting for this Monday edition of Eye on the Hawks. We covered a lot. a lot. Boy, what a fun weekend, uh, historic yeah. weekend, historic weekend, and uh, now we, we turn to Minnesota. The battle for trophies just beginning. Florida Rosedale has settled in and has quite the residency in Iowa City, but going to have to get ready for the Golden Gophers coming up on Saturday, 2.30 kick on NBC. Just just one final thought before we uh, start playing the outro music
3: is that back in, I think it was February, they had that huge weekend in Hawkeye history where it was like the comeback against Michigan State, Iowa women did... Something. I forget what was happened. that Caitlin's winner Was that the Indiana, Indiana game? Was it? Yeah, I think it was that weekend, yeah. And then Iowa baseball beat number one LSU that weekend. And I feel like even the softball team won in a walk-off or something like that. Um, but I feel like this weekend is one that Hawkeye fans are going to remember for a long time in terms of that win on Saturday at Wisconsin. First one at Wisconsin since, what did we say, 20, 2015? 2015, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and the crossover. This is a week similar that, to 2015 as well. This, this is a Hawkeye weekend that is going to be remembered for a long time.
4: Yeah. I mean, not for the. That February had like, you know, beating a top ranked Indiana, not top ranked, but top in the Big Ten, mm-hmm. Indiana, beating top ranked LSU. But it still was a memorable weekend for, you know, being a Hawkeye fan. Anytime you get a win in Madison, it, you know, I think you're feeling happy. Yeah.
2: So we'll see what happens at Kinnick on Saturday. Again, we'll uh, get everything. We'll talk to. Coach and players tomorrow and bring everything on Wednesday on our live edition of Eye on the Hawks. Of course, Twitter Eye on the Hawks, Iowa News Now on YouTube and Instagram. However you have been tuning in and listening and downloading and supporting, we thank you. We will talk the battle for Floyd of Rosedale coming up on Wednesday on Eye on the Hawks. For Mike and Owen, I'm Mitch. We'll see you then.